0: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel
1: and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
2: When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
3: This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms.
4: This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder.
2: All doctors to the ER.
0: It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris, Chris Mannix. Mannix. All right, welcome back. Another episode SI Boxing Podcast. Glad you could join me this week. Got a good show Lined up for you. First up, we go inside the bubble out in Las Vegas. Bernardo Osuna, uh, ESPN broadcaster. He has been in that bubble for the better part of the last two weeks. Talks to me about some of the protocols that they have out there, what it's like in front of no fans in some of these fights and what he hopes boxing looks like in the future. Plus his thoughts on the recently somewhat announced Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua showdown, which could take place as early as as the summer of 2021. A little bit later on, Regis Progray, the former 140-pound champion. He has been in the news recently because the fight he had scheduled with Maurice Hooker has fallen apart. Regis walks me through how those negotiations crumbled, why he's not willing to go up to 145 or even 147 pounds right now, what he hopes is next for him, and a whole lot more. Stick around for that. Great interview With Regis Prograde. Quick housekeeping note: if you like this podcast, very easy way you can support it, head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. That's it. All right, on to my conversation with Bernardo Asuna. All right, joining me now on the podcast, live from the bubble in Las Vegas, ESPN broadcaster and reporter, Bernardo Osuna. Bernardo, what's going on, my friend?
2: How you doing, Chris? It's great to be in the bubble. I'm the boy in the bubble right now, but uh, there's no place I'd rather be. I'm just excited that boxing is back and excited to be talking about this sport we love so much with you, Chris.
0: So let me ask you this, Bernardo, because you are the only member of the ESPN broadcast team that is on-site in Las Vegas. When, I mean, when this was first uh, brought to you, you know, what was your reaction?
2: You know, I I was kinda like a lot of the boxers that we've spoken to who said, look, I gotta be ready when this happens. So I started to take the quarantine very seriously. Uh, You gotta remember that our fights on March 14th and March 17th at Madison Square Garden were canceled uh, due to uh, COVID-19. I actually landed in New York uh, at about 10 o'clock My phone was blowing up saying, don't come into the city. Stay by the – if you can catch a flight back now, catch it now. If not, catch the first flight back. Uh, So I knew it was serious, and and my daughters had just been sent home from Stanford and USC to finish their semesters at home. So my family took it really serious, and so I I knew that I had to stay ready. And, And when I spoke with Mike McQuaid, who's our VP and coordinating producer, he said, look, everybody else can do their job pretty much from home. You know, Tim and Andre can commentate. Joe Tess can do it from the studio, and and Kriegel can write his great stories and essays and, and present from home. He's like, but even on a normal broadcast, you're our eyes and ears. You're roaming the corners. You're talking to, uh, you know, the commission. You're getting all the information. So, how would you feel about being our one guy that we're allowed on site? And I said, I'd love it. You know, I think it's a great responsibility. I also think it's a great opportunity. And and I mean, if you think about it, you know, thirty years down the line, I'd be like, oh, you know, we're making history. So it, it, it was actually a really really cool uh, idea. And I really liked it. And fortunately my wife and my daughters support me wholeheartedly. And,
0: and here I am. So how long are you going to be in the bubble?
2: So a, a lot of the ESPN crew is going to be in the bubble for the foreseeable future. It's uh, four weeks for now. Uh, and it can, you know, extend through the month of July. Uh, myself, I, you know, my agreement was to come in and go home every week. But unfortunately, uh, Disney doesn't want us to leave the bubble. I will be going home, um, actually next week after the Thursday show to move my daughter's stuff back from Stanford. And the hope is that I can get back in the bubble, if not immediately after a quarantine period and be here for the long haul. Uh, you know, I've done it before. I've done it for Olympics, Pan Am games, world cups. Uh, and and, you know, it's, it's fine. You know, the bubble is the bubble. Um, it's a new reality we're all living in and and people have to make sacrifices and and it's not as bad as, as it sounds, but you know, it's not ideal either.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess it could be worse than a nice Las Vegas hotel room in, you know, catered meals, whenever you kind of want. There there are worse things in the world for sure uh, than that. So tell me Bernardo, like, just walk me through what the rules are for you. Like from the day that you get there to what you're kind of allowed to do throughout the course of a day.
2: All right. So I I got here last Sunday. Uh, The later you get in, the better, because the tests, the COVID-19 test takes about 10 hours to get the result. So we timed it so I could come in. I got to my room. I checked in at around one o'clock. We had three o'clock fighter meetings, three to seven because we had uh, five fights. And then I just had to stay. I went to go get something to eat. And at about ten o'clock, I took my COVID nineteen test. Once I took the COVID nineteen test, I was not allowed to leave my room. Uh, then, once I woke up, if you didn't get a phone call or a message by about seven eight o'clock in the morning, then that meant you you were negative. That meant you could go over to the uh, conference center and get your bracelet, which uh, allows you access to the other part of the bubble where. The fighters workout, where we have our top-ranked ESPN offices, where we have our food catered, um, and so that's pretty much what you can do. Uh, initially, it was just getting over there via secured shuttle. Right now, they're letting us walk a single pathway t- from the hotel uh, to the conference center, but can't make stops. You're, you're not allowed to do much else. You know, the roulette tables calling my name, but I, I can't. Uh, I, <laughs> I celebrated my birthday here inside the bubble, so. It, you know, it's it's restrictive, but you know, you're fine. They're taking care of us in in everything we need. They put a Keurig in my room, you know, a little mini fridge. So, my wife sent me over here with all kinds of snacks, and and so you would try to make the best of it. They they just did a, a contactless delivery from uh, the grocery store uh, for for all the crew. They you know we have laundry here, so they really take good care of us within the scope of what the bubble is.
0: So are there... I mean, you're obviously not walking to that roulette table or the craps table. I mean, how do, you, how do you entertain yourself in the the off hours when you're kind of just hanging around?
2: It's funny because these are the first off hours that I've had since I've gotten here. So this is the first weekend that, that we're going to have. So, you know, it's been all work and prep because we have five fights on the card. Uh, and, and so it's just been nonstop fighter meetings, production meetings. So we've been going since I got here. And, and this is the first really downtime. And so you know, everybody can only be around a certain group of people just in, in terms of keeping that contact tracing. I can be around a lot more just because my job involves me going around all over the place. But most people have to stay within a bubble of maybe 15, 20 people that they can interact with once you're not in the workspace. Uh, so that's interesting. You know, uh, I'll probably, you know, watch some Netflix like everybody else does. I'll, I'll do some work leading up to the next two fight cards uh and uh you know read a book and and uh i brought my a putter and a a little putt return machine so you know i got my own putting green here in the hotel room you just have to make do you know you have to keep yourself entertained uh and eventually they'll get us a little workout room to to work out next week and and you know just try not to climb up the walls is basically what we're trying to do for this weekend
0: you got to get some kind of like Underground poker game going with like Carl Moretti and Brad Jacobs and <laughs> you know a handful of those guys that are locked down. At least some gambling should go on in the bubble premises, man. You gotta yeah have yeah. It, in there.
2: Well, we're actually we're actually working on a little game between the group that, I, that I'm allowed to hang out with. So it, you know we're we're gonna get that going. And you know everybody's gotta wear a mask and it's gonna be weird, but hey, it beats being alone.
0: I, I don't know how much visual interaction you have with the other people in Vegas, but it almost seems like from afar. That there are two Vegases going on right now. There's what you guys are doing on the inside, like super protective, making sure that you're doing everything possible not to pass coronavirus to somebody. And then you like, I go on Twitter and I'm seeing videos of packed casino floors and pools with everybody just basically saying, screw it. It's, it's just, it's surreal almost, Bernardo, to see two forms of Vegas coexisting at the same time.
2: If you look at it, Chris, it's a reflection of the two Americas, right? There's the America that says, hey, I can't breathe with this mask on. And then there's the other America that says, hey, you know what? For example, me, I've got my mother who's got rheumatoid arthritis. And I've for the last three months, I haven't been able to hug her. I look at her when I go visit. She's on the balcony. I take her some groceries or whatever. My dad comes to get some. But, you know, you take I take it very seriously because I would hate to give the COVID-19 to my mother. And some people just don't care. I live in Orange County and, and you know, we just saw the video of, uh, you know, them going to the city council and just, you know, putting on a show and now you, you can't, you're not supposed to wear, you're not forced to wear them. So it's the same thing here in Vegas. I, I sent a text to my daughters the other day as I was walking from uh, the uh, hotel room to the convention center and, and there's the pools right there. And they, I said, I, I feel like I'm a fish in an aquarium because I, I'm on this side looking out. Everybody's at the pool, you know, having a great time. And I'm in the, you know, I'm looking from, behind the glass. And, and it is what it is. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's how you feel about it. And, and for all of us, we feel the responsibility, especially like the ESPN crew and the top rank crew that, you know, and really fortunate that nobody's tested positive for COVID-19. But we really feel that if we do this right, it, it's going to open up possibilities for the other networks in boxing to come back, for the other sports to see the template of what needs to be done and how it needs to be done and so it really is important for all of us to take this very seriously. And, and that's what we're doing. But it is two Vegas. It's, you know, this is a place where you come to have fun, gamble, eat. And, you know, the, the dinners are actually pretty good. But, you know, here we're, we're all about those seafood towers at the, at the restaurants and the steakhouses <laughs> that are here. And, and you can't necessarily partake in that.
0: Oh, believe me. I've been in a few of those shows and the seafood <laughs> towers are very much a part of the top rank, uh, top rank experience. Um, I, so I tweeted this yeah. after the first show. I thought the, I thought the visuals looked great. Like I thought top rank did a great job and ESPN did a great job of at least, you know, not making it look strange in a conference room. It really looked like a, a boxing event. What did it feel like in there with, you know, with no crowd in attendance and guys kind of going at it without the natural ambiance of, of a crowd?
2: I actually enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I like the fact that you can hear the corners. You, you get a real feel. The punches are really, uh, you know, it's almost like we're conveying what you and I usually get to, to hear when we are doing our reporting job on site or when we're sitting ringside where where you really get a different feel than what people see on TV. And I think with this, I, I think people are getting an, a more inside look at what boxing is like, you know, when, when you know, Buddy McGirt, who projects a lot, and and he was basically basically like a fifth voice in the broadcast crew with Tess and Andre and Tim and and uh, um, Kriegel and I, and so it it, it was very interesting, um, and and I think it changes the dynamic of the corners too because sometimes they don't want to yell as much, and and you know they, you don't have that intimacy even like when the commission was dealing with the disqualification, everything's over the microphones. There's no kind of hidden conversations anymore because everything's there, you know, raw for everybody to see. And, and you're right about the visuals. I think, you know, the team has done a great job, the, the giant video walls. And, and, you know, we've got our, our director, Aladdin Freeman who's here and, and Mike Mascaro on site and, and Fernando who does a lot of the interviews with us. And so we got a really small core of people that do it right. And then in Bristol, we've got, you know, two teams. We've got Jim Zeroli leading the uh, team that does the, Itself. And then we've got Mark Schumann, who usually does max unboxing, and our studio shows on the road doing uh, the studio portion. So it's really a huge operation. And it's really, we're trying to make it as seamless as possible. Obviously, being in separate places makes it tough. But I think overall, it's been a really good experience.
0: You talked to all the fighters, obviously, after each event and and just in the days that followed. Like, what's been their reaction to to participating in something like this after they've gone through it? I mean, how have they felt it? It played out.
2: You know, I think the the fighters on the first card, you know, were very excited to be the first ones back. You know, Shakur Stevenson being uh, the headliner was just very excited and, and willing to put on a show because he knew that a lot of people would be watching. Robeyz Ramirez the same way. He's like, who would have thought? You know. This kid, a two-time Olympian from Cuba who defected, would be the first fight back on the uh, on, for boxing in the United States. So they really took it seriously. And and some of the other kids, like, for example, yesterday, you know, uh, Mondragon, a guy like Gabriel Murataya, a preschool teacher, who would never have been on TV at 2-0 and 0 and 6-0. and 0, You know, they're on TV now and, and having people watch them. So it's really, I think Andre Ward said it best, this is going to be a time for certain fighters who were off the radar to really get their opportunity and and maybe they don't have to wait till they're 12 15 fights 20 fights in to be on tv so you know i think it's gonna breed for great fights it's gonna make for some upsets And, and so i think uh you know these guys really have an opportunity that wouldn't have been there and you know speaking with those guys when they say hey man i knew i was gonna get a chance i knew that you know they need opponents so Maybe, you know, I'm not the A-list or I'm the b guy, B-side guy, b guy, but I can go and make a name for myself on these shows, and, and we'll have them every week, twice a week, which is a lot of fights coming up in the in the upcoming weeks. So, you know, we're going to see a lot of guys looking at this as their chance.
0: So I'll ask you this, too, and I'll ask you in part for my own purposes, since I'll be doing it at some point <laughs> anyway. You, you doing the post-fight interviews, you did them at a social distance, uh, six-ish feet, whatever it was, between you and the fighter's on the stage that contrasted Bernardo with what I saw UFC do right off the bat, where Joe Rogan just kind of hopped in the ring and, you know, was doing his usual thing right next to each other. I mean, how did you feel about being socially distant? Would you prefer to, to be doing the interview right next to them? Would you have concerns doing it that way? I mean, what was your overall sense of that?
2: Uh, Look, we're in the bubble. We've already been tested. I'd have no problem going, uh, you know, uh, being close to, to a fighter and doing the interview. As a matter of fact, after the fight, um, Shakur Stevenson was going to go to the hospital. I did an interview with him backstage, and I was closer to him, and I was wearing my mask when I did it. And uh, to me, that was fine. As long as somebody's wearing a mask, it's fine. Um, but it, it's it's a decision that's made above my pay grade. You know, I think the most important thing right now is get it right. Um, make sure that nobody uh, gets sick, nobody gets infected. And, and once things start to roll, I think – it, it's a work in progress. You know, the goalpost moves every day. And, and so we're hoping to get it closer to the normal, but whatever we need to do right now to make it happen, I think is what we're doing. It's not uncomfortable. Would I like to be closer to the guy and, and have that intimacy? Great. Yeah. But, you know, I posted a, an Instagram post yesterday about, you know, what I missed, you know, and it was, it's a picture of, of uh, Shakur Stevenson and I laughing and, 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 you know, me and my crew taking a selfie and, and, with our mask on, except for me. Um, and, and so you look at it and you say, that's what you miss. That's what you and I know boxing as that camaraderie that you have with the crew that, that works with you, that spends countless hours uh, making this happen and, and all the time they put into what we see on the air. And then the fighters. I mean, that's what I miss the most talking to these guys, getting to know, being able to tell their stories. Uh, and, and so that's what boxing's is about. And, and that's what, what the beauty is of being here and being able to, to hopefully transmit that to the fans through the broadcast.
0: So how often are you personally tested? You said you were tested before you got in there. Are there subsequent tests for you?
2: Oh yeah. So we got tested Sunday night, which was, uh, you know, to be able to work Monday, which was a weigh in and then Tuesday fight. And then on Wednesday we get tested again so that we can work the Thursday fight. So now, uh, the weekends here, we have to still stay within the bubble We'll be tested again Sunday and again on Wednesday. So it's a two times a week testing. And and, uh, I was telling people, hey, the best birthday gift I got was that negative COVID-19 test, you know, that that allows (laughs) me to to continue. And it was funny because when I got the first test, I I texted my wife and and my girls and and I said, hey, I'm I'm so proud of you guys. I'm so happy for myself that I tested negative, uh, but I'm happy and proud of you guys because all the sacrifices they made over the last three months to not see their friends and not go out and and be really vigilant, I said it paid off, you know, And and because we all look at it like we've had fighters test prior to coming to Vegas, and and one of them tested negative, and now his fight is off, and and you're like, imagine that that had been me, like all this effort to to get me here, to make sure that I'm here, and all of a sudden I test positive, and and it's got nothing to do with the bubble. It had to do with what I did outside the bubble. So now that I'm in the bubble, I'm I'm very vigilant about making sure that, that I stay you know, healthy and safe. And, and the bubble concept of protocols are working as established. So, uh, you know, it's all about doing it right.
0: So they uh, the test that you're getting, are, are we talking like that full up the nose, touch your brain swab, or is it something a little bit different now?
2: Thank God it's not that lobotomy test that they do with uh, <laughs> a 14 inch swab or whatever it is now. It's actually a, a throat swab, and, and it's it's not terrible. It's not pleasant. You know, you get a little bit of a tickle in your throat, and and you start to feel a little sore throat. You know, in the neck, in the hours after you've done the test, but but it's nothing major. And and uh, once you go through it once, you understand what it is. I just close my eyes, open my mouth, and say ah, and let them do what they do. They get in there, you're they're out, and then uh, you know you get the the no traces of COVID on on your uh, test, and and you feel like a champion. So you know, just gotta got keep doing that.
0: Yeah, between basketball and boxing in the coming months, I'm really not looking forward to the number of tests that are probably gonna come my way. it's also gonna be interesting, I think. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but you know, when Michaela Mayer tested positive, uh, she insisted she didn't have it. It was a false it was a false positive, and she's subsequently come out on social media and said, like, my doctor told me I don't have it. I never had it. I wonder if like if that means they will transition more to those horrifying swabs up the nose. Cause it seems like based on what I read anyway, that those are the most, uh, you know, effective ways of telling if it's a positive or not.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it's, it's a work in progress, but I think it'd be harder to get people to uh, actually agree to those. You know, I think uh, it was, it was a relief when they said, Hey, it's going to be the throat swab. I was like, all right, I, I can do that. I, I'm like, I'm not all about, you know, getting that, that, the uh, thing up my nose for, you know, brain testing so i i understand it if and if i had to do it i would do it um but it's really a, a work in progress it's it just at that point with Michaela she was the first one to to test for traces of covid-19 and and it just had you know it was the first time all of us were in this closed system and so it had to happen you know they they did the right thing in terms of hey let's get you out of the bubble let's get you make sure you're nice and healthy now she's had her own test and she can come back and and, and go in front of the commission and say, hey, look, the doctor says I'm not, you know, I don't, I'm don't, i asymptomatic, I'm, I'm not a, a threat to pass it on to anybody else, I'm not contagious, so I can participate with no danger. And, and I think we're in a better place now, but it was just the first show, and, and imagine, God forbid, something happens and we have an outbreak or something like that, then it not only affects that show, it affects, you know, the shows down the line. So that's why even for the crew, it's so important. I mean, we lose one cameraman, then, or two or three, and then it becomes something, and, and, and all of a sudden we can't do a show. so it, And same thing with the fighters, you know? The, they're, they're making very specific training times for each of them to train and not to come across one another and, and that work. But in the case of Michaela you know, Kay Karoma, her assistant trainer, was also the assistant trainer for Shakur Stevenson, for Jared B- Baby Anderson moving down the line, you know, Jamel Herring. So it's one of those things where – he was a team member that had, you know, different contact with different guys. And, and he did the right thing by stepping back and saying, hey, guys, I'm going to pull myself out of the card so that everybody else can work and, and do things the way they're supposed to, to happen. So I think, you know, she had to kind of take one for the team as did Kay. And, and it was a right thing at the time. You know, as we move forward, maybe it won't be the right thing at that particular time because we'll have more knowledge. We'll, we'll know where we're at and, and we'll make the adjustments accordingly.
0: Yeah, I get asked all the time, like, with the curve flattening nationwide, or at least, you know, hospitalizations being weighed down, or, you know, are sports being too careful? Of course not. I mean, like, sports are a billion-dollar business. You you lose a cameraman at ESPN, your entire broadcast is affected. It's not like you can just swap somebody in and out, you know, overnight. So, yeah, you've got to be uh, overly cautious. Uh, before I let you go... Uh, I don't know what this announcement means, but Fury, Joshua 2021, the financial structure of a deal's in place. Tyson Fury, of course, has an incredibly dangerous fight up ahead still with Deontay Wilder. Uh, AJ may have as many as two fights. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Usyk and Pulev in the coming years. But I guess your reaction to uh, potentially a heavyweight unification fight sometime in 2021.
2: means we may be working together, Chris. But uh, yeah, I'm, saying.
0: That's what I'm saying so, but,
2: but apart from that, I think it's great that there's actually negotiations going on. You know, we're, we're living in an era where everybody's on social media talking smack and, and quote unquote making fights that never, ever happened. So the fact that these guys who are the two most powerful men in boxing right now, because, you know, Deontay Wilder, you, you know, you, he's arguably the best heavyweight after the win, I mean, uh, Tyson Freer, after the win against Deontay Wilder's arguably the best heavyweight. Then you've got Anthony Joshua, who has three of the four belts. And the fact that they want to have an undisputed champion, I think that's what boxing needs. I think the boxers have the power to say, hey, I want it. Now, if one of the organizing committees says, hey, I'm not going to sanction that fight, if you don't fight your mandatory, and we don't get the the unified and then eventually the undisputed champion because of political reasons then that really sucks for the sport you know i think this is one of the moments where the wbo wbc ibf w and uh, you know whatever i forgot there's so many of them
0: wba right there yeah
2: wba they all need to get together and say look guys we have a chance to make history we have a chance to get all eyeballs of the world on the heavyweight division which hasn't been hot in years you know there's rare, there's rare moments in the sport where everything is set up for it to once again take over. And this is one of them. And the only people that can really screw it up are the uh, sanctioning bodies. If they start to strip, you know, whether it be uh, the WBC, WBA, IBA, WBO, they have a chance to do the right thing for once. They get so much crap for the things they do wrong. Let's do this right. Let's let these guys fight. Let them take one mandatory, whatever they have to do, that's fine. Now the other thing is the fighters. We've seen what happens with, uh, you know, Anthony Joshua. He got sparked by uh, Ruiz, and then he came back and beat Andy Ruiz in the rematch. So whether it's Pulev or Usyk, you know, there's nothing guaranteed there. But that's real. That's that's the heavyweight division. Anybody can get knocked out at any time. Same thing with uh, Tyson Fury. He's got a dangerous rematch or a trilogy with uh, Deontay Wilder coming. And hey, anything can happen there as well. But once again, that would be. Fights being determined by what happens inside the ring. I have a problem with us not getting an undisputed champion in a hundred at you know twenty twenty one because one of the organizing committees said, uh, my mandatory is more important than making history in boxing."
0: Yeah, I completely agree. There's a pretty I don't want to call it easy, but there's a fix here. I mean, if this fight generates the type of revenue, it probably will with like a sixty million live gate or. You know, broadcasters, broadcast revenue across the world, wherever it's coming from. You could put Dillian White and you could put Alexander Usyk as the co-main on that card. You can pay them just a boatload of money and have the winner of that be positioned to face the winner of the second fight between Fury and Joshua, however they want to play that one out. Make a bunch of money, increase your profile. I mean, who cares if it's like... I mean, Alexander Usik versus I don't even know who it would be for like the the vacant WBO title. Like, go fight that fight in like Kazakhstan or somewhere and make no money, as opposed to a massive stage where you're fighting on the Fury Joshua. I'll give you tell you this, and you've been around Fury more than I have, but it, it, I just love how he he needs these big fights. Like, he doesn't seem like he gets up for the average fights, like whether it's Tom Schwartz or. You know, his last fight against autovalence, like, all right, I'm here. I got to do it. I'm going to go through the motions. It's the big fights he seems to get up for. That's why he kind of, I think anyway, seeks them out and gets deals like this done quickly. We waited. I mean, I was covering the negotiation between, you know, Wilder and Joshua for like two years. It was mind-numbing. This stuff between Fury and AJ, it's a matter of months. And at the very least, they've got the financials figured out. I give Tyson Fury a lot of credit for that.
2: Yeah, because we're used to an era where everybody's protecting their, oh, everybody's looking for Those, oh, is that an easy title defense? Yeah, I'm going to take that. Give me the number 15th guy instead of, you know, giving me the next guy up. Or in this case, give me the champion because I want to make history. I want to go down and and be a transcendent figure in the sport. And I think that's what the beauty of, of that February 22nd fight was. The fact that we all left that night with this feeling of hope for the sport. This feeling that this could be a turning point for boxing Fox and ESPN get together, you know, PBC and and Top Rank get together, and there was no enemies. Everybody was on the same page for the betterment of the sport, and what we could see moving forward was that we could see whatever happens in that third fight, then the winner going against Joshua, and then whether it's Top Rank, ESPN, or PBC and Fox working together with the Zone and Matchroom and making it happen. And it was just that happened. Then COVID hits, and, and it kind of throws everything the financials for everybody in the world off. And and it was just such a moment of, of, uh, you know, looking forward and saying this could be somewhere where boxing kind of gets back into the mainstream and, and we've got to get back to that. And people got to get out of the way of success. You know, boxing does that so much, whether it be the judging, whether it be the sanctioning bodies, get out of the way, let the fighters fight, let these guys who care about making these fights that, will generate millions and millions of dollars and, and really go down in history. We always complain, we don't have the Ali Frazier, we don't have the Hagler Hearns and Leonard Durant. Well yeah, you know why? Because everybody gets in the way of it. These guys want to do it. They should be setting the tone for all the other guys at 147 which has a ton of talent. 160 which has talent 75, you know, 68. Like if Fury Wilder and Joshua could do it, then there's no excuse for the little guys not to do it.
0: Yeah, uh, you can have a big moment in the heavyweight division that's for sure uh bernardo stay healthy out there man and if if somebody can deliver you i love that pizzeria in the mgm food court if somebody can deliver you like the some buffalo chicken pizza that's the money shot right there buffalo chicken pizza down there is 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 key man so stay well right, man i to again soon <laughs> take care chris hope to talk soon
1: With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
4: Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have
0: hair plugs? All right, joining me now on the show, he is the former 140 pound champion. He's had uh, maybe a rough week or so, has been trying to figure out a fight that was supposed to happen and now maybe is not happening, is Regis Prograde joining me from down in Houston. How are you, Regis?
3: I'm good, man. Everything is, you know, everything is cool, trying to still stay away from the Corona people. But besides that, everything is good.
0: Good, good to hear it. So, like, before we get into anything else, your fight with Maurice Hooker, the fight that was originally supposed to happen in April, it was kind of penciled in for at some point this summer and fell apart over the last week. in your mind, is that fight completely dead?
3: in my mind, I think so um, hopefully it's not, but I mean in my mind, I think I think it is dead
0: so where from your perspective did this go south? Was it when you know you know, Bomac told me that it was 147 or nothing. I mean, how did this fall apart in your mind?
3: Yeah, I mean, listen, it wasn't like it, it wasn't like the the initial fight was scheduled at 145, and then I try to bring him down to 143. No, I mean, the fight was first off. initially we wanted the fight to be at 140 because my goal is to be a champion and get at 140. So we want to be the fight to be at 140. Uh, for some type of some, maybe the Eliminator or something like that. And, you know, they said um, he couldn't make it. He has It takes him three months or something like that to get down to 140. So they moved it to 143. You know, my side said, okay, that's fine. No problem with that. We'll do 143. Um, Of course, the the coronavirus hit for the April 17th. That, you know, that went off. Um, You know, they had to be rescheduled. So he had time. You know, he had time to make 140. And now he's saying 147. So, um, you know, it's... For me, it's, it's not my fault that, you know, he can't make the weight.
0: So take me inside the discussions over the last week. I mean, how high were you willing to go? I mean, what concessions were you willing to make for this fight to happen? I
3: said 144. Um, and the only, the only... And I don't even want to go that high, to be honest. Um, the only thing... I don't, I feel like I could beat Maurice Hooker at any weight. I feel like right now I can. I feel like I could beat him. You know, if no matter what the weight he is right now, and compared to my weight, I feel like I can still beat him. You know, style wise, I'm not worried about that. My my thing is I want to be a champion again at 140. So I don't want to. I want my body to still be adjusted to going to making my weight at 140. It's not about. It's not about the people think it's about the weight. No, it's not about the weight. It's you know, like the weight for the fight. No, that's that's definitely not the case. It's about my next fight, my future. I want to be a champion again at 140. So, if if my body is not used to making 140, if I if I fight at 145 or one, even 144 or 145 in my next fight, the fight after that, it's gonna be it's it's probably gonna be hard for me to make the weight. I'm probably you know I don't want to struggle. I don't want to be. He's in that position. He's in that position to where he has to go to 147. His last fight, it was at um, 143 and he came in at 144 and a quarter, you know, so he can't make the weight no more. It's not my fault that he can't make the weight, you know, so um, that, I mean, that's kind of my stand on it.
0: Yeah, I, I totally get that stance. Let, let me give you like the devil's advocate argument here that some people might look at this and say, well, if Regis would go to 144, why not one more pound? Why not 145? Why was the one pound there so important to you?
3: it's not even that 1 pound i don't even want to go to 144 you know i'd rather keep it at 143 really i want to be at 140 you know so it's it's not about it's not about even that 1 pound so if it's the 1 pound let him come down to 144 you know if it's if it's that's the case the 1 pound let him come down to 144 but he doesn't even i don't even think he wants to come to 145 i think he wants to stay at one he wants to be At 147. I actually talked to him on the phone and he said he's gonna be at 147. I DM'd him um and we talked a little bit on, you know, we had like some, you know, some hostile messages on Instagram. But uh, he was like, I was like, bro, come make the way. He was he told me he was like, Man, you talk too much and you all this, I was like, make the way, you gonna see who talk too much. And um he was like, Look, I'm at one forty seven. Do what you are doing, but I'm at one forty seven. So I don't even think he wants to come down to 145. Um, But no, it's like I said, my my goal is to be a champion again at 140. So, um, and I don't, I'm looking for, I'm looking, I'm looking at my future. I'm not looking just at this fight right now. I'm looking at my future. Of course I can fight him at 147. I can fight him at 157, 160 if I want to right now. But I don't want to be stuck in the same position he's stuck in and, can't come back down and can't make the weight. That's the whole thing about me. I don't want my body to get adjusted to that, you know, to being heavier and can't come back down.
0: So what was what were some of those conversations like? Whether it was phone, Instagram? I mean, were they just, you know, a back and forth where you're saying make the weight and him saying no?
3: Basically, yeah, that was it. Actually, so um it's a crazy thing. Like my one of my brothers in New Orleans, he FaceTimed me. He Facetime Maurice Hooker, and I was on the other FaceTime. He was on two different phones, and I was on the other FaceTime, so he going back and forth with Maurice Hooker, and he's saying he can't make the weight. He's just, man, look, I can't make the weight. He was like, I need to talk to my, my cousin or something like that, and I can't make the weight. and he was like, look, bro, like, I, my, my, my brother, he was like, man, I don't like you. You don't like Regis. Regis don't like you. You need to make the weight. Why you just can't make the weight? And he was just like, man, look, I can't make the weight. That's the main thing. He was like, I, I can't make the weight. So, You know, I had, I went on, I went on a little, I was pissed off about it, of course, when I first heard about it. So I went on a little rant on my YouTube channel and, you know, they, they, he saw that and um you know, so he DM'd me, he was like, man, you all talk and all this. And I was like, bro, make the wait and you gonna see who all talk. And you know, he was just like, he can't, he was like, and then the last message he said, do you, I'm at 147. And so I just left it at that. So he's saying that's what he's saying. He's gonna stay. He's gonna stay at 147. And okay, so if, if he's gonna do that, clearly that's what he wants to do. He wants to be um, at 147. And I'm not I'm not going to 147 first. My pro, I will and I will go to 147 eventually. That's exactly where I want to be at 147. But I still want to be a champion again at 140 before I move up to 147. And that's just a personal goal for me to be a two time champion
0: what has to be frustrating for you, Regis, I I would imagine, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I mean, this this was almost predictable. Like you like it, it took me calling his trainer for this to suddenly get out there. Like, but all along it felt like whether it was Brian McIntyre or Hooker that they didn't want to to make this weight. I mean, did you get that sense over the last few weeks that this weight thing was going to become an issue?
3: Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. I, I felt like that. Yeah. They they don't they I don't think he wants to fight, period. You know, I don't know if it's the weight or what. Maybe it is the weight, maybe not. I don't think he wants to fight. So if he wants to go to 147, like I said, if he wants to go to 147, let him do that. But I don't, yeah, I feel like it was, you know, it was going to be an issue.
0: So, you know, you said you wanted to make 140 pounds so you can win a title again there. I mean, looking at the landscape, are you willing to wait as long as it might take to get that opportunity if it really is going to be ramirez josh taylor at some point spinning it forward that might not happen till mid 2021 i mean what's your your timetables like on how long you'll stay at 140
3: yeah you're right you're right about that um i i mean i don't know i mean for me i can still make the weight comfortably you know um it's still of course it's still a little struggle but it's just something i want to do i want to be a champion again at 140 i want to be a two-time champion before i move up to 147 so um, as far as when it's going to take place, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't say, you know, when it's going to take place or not like that. But boxing is a, boxing is a very, very funny sport to where one time you might think that, you know, it might not open up and then a door opens up, you know? So for me right now, that's just kind of, I'm, I'm going to stay, I'm just going to keep my goal and, you know, and, and want to be a champion again at 140.
0: So what kind of fights can you get? In between, I mean, there was the report about Chris Algieri. I had heard he asked for a lot of money uh, to fight you. Um, what's out there for you at this point if Hooker's off the table?
3: I mean, that's that's kind of what my manager is, you know, working on. You know, I think they, whoever, you know, I, it really doesn't matter for me whoever the next fight is, you know, as long as it's for some type of, like, eliminator, you know, that's my main thing. Of course, the money, all it, the person never really mattered to me, but of course the money... You know that's always um, a factor, and then of course, um, if it's for some type of belt, some type of lemonade, or something like that, so where it'll guarantee me to be in line for a shot. You know, so you're talking maybe 2021, but maybe it be even, it might be even closer than that. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't. That's like I said, that's that's my manager's job.
0: Is there is there a junior welterweight fight out there right now that really interests you? If you remove Taylor and Ramirez because they're going to kind of circle each other until they get in the ring, is there a fight now that that sort of piques your interest?
3: Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> it's not. Nah. I don't think. I don't think it's a. I. I mean, you're talking about like besides Ramirez and Taylor and me, the only one was like you know Hooker. You know he was. Because he's the ex-champion you know basically you know he's a former champion but nobody else is um i don't think nobody else even has a name that big to even interest me you know so uh i, I don't know it's it's not really a name so that's what i'm saying for me it doesn't matter as long as it's for some type of title and of course if the money's the the right
0: So why not? I mean, look, it's your your body. Clearly, you know what you can do and you know what you're more comfortable with. So with that, all that being said, why not move up to 147 where there's there's a lot of money and there's certainly a lot of fights. I mean, I was at one of your fights where you and Terrence Crawford and his family members went back and forth uh, over some stuff. There's a natural kind of rivalry there. You know what's happening on the PBC side of the street. You know, why not make the jump now with the landscape looking what it looks like?
3: Just a personal goal. I won't be. I won't be a champion. I won't be a two-time champion at 140. It's just something that I want to do. You know, um, even you said like even at 147. My 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 goal is to be a champion. You know, so of course at 147, at how soon can I get a title shot at 147? You know, right now I'm coming off of a. I'm a former champion at 140, so it, it won't be a shot like right now at 147 for probably a while, you know, but if I am a champion again at one forty, um, as soon as I move up to one forty seven, I might get a title shot. Or the next it might not be the, the, the first fight at one forty seven, but it'll be the next fight at one forty seven. So yeah, I mean that's like I said, that's the thing. I just it's it's just a personal goal. I wanna be a champion again and then once once you're a champion you you demand more. You know, if I'm if I just go up to one forty seven right now, I'll just you know, I'll be just in a mix just with everybody else. I won't be you know, considered a top player. I want to be considered a top player and to be considered a top player, you have to have some type of, you know, you have to have some type of belt, some type of clout coming with you. So, that's why I want to be a champion in get that
1: 140.
0: Does it matter to you, Regis, how you get the belt? I mean, I would imagine, I've talked to Jose Ramirez about this, like, it, once he gets that Taylor fight, win or lose, he's gone Up to 147. I don't know what Taylor's situation is specifically, but I mean, even if it's a vacant belt, does that matter? Do you just want that title?
3: I want the belt. Yeah, I want the belt. You know, that's, that's the main thing. You know, I want to be a champion again at 140. Of course, it'll be good to win it from a champion. That's definitely, you know, the, the best thing to do to win it from somebody. But if it's vacant, then hey, let it be vacant. You know, as long as it's a good fight.
0: Before I let you go, Top Rank's been doing these behind closed doors shows. Um, you Know there's been a few things to unpack part of them, but have you watched any of them? And if so, what have you thought of kind of the whole scene that they've had with these you know, kind of no crowd shows?
3: You know what? If you it's all about being a uh, just all about being adjustable, and you know, we just got to adjust to it. You know, if if it's no crowd, then it's no crowd, you know, it's better to be safe than sorry. So, um of course, the fans make a big, big difference as far as, like, adrenaline-wise. It makes, a, it makes a huge, huge difference. You know, my last fight was over 20,000 people in the O2. You know, so you're talking about over 20,000 people to be in no people at all. That's going to be – it's going to be a big difference. It'll be almost like sparring. You know, it'll be like a – you know, a, just like a gym fight, basically. So – but um, it's just all about doing what you got to do. It's not – you know, we can't, I don't think we can do nothing about it right now because of, you know, because of the um, the coronavirus. So, you know, it's just all about, it is what it is and we got to do what we got to do.
0: How careful, Regis, are you trying to be with with protecting yourself from that coronavirus? Because we've seen now with the Les Pierre show and Pedraza getting called off, we've seen now three fights in two weeks, really, the top ranks had to scrap because of either a fighter or a member of a fighter's team testing positive for this. I mean when you see stuff like that, what do you think?
3: I'm I'm scared, man. At first I'm not gonna lie. I was when I was in LA, I just I wasn't kind of worried about it. I was thinking it was a government thing and I still thought it was real, of course, but I was just like, man, I'm not worried about this, but if now it's messing with people's like career, you know? So as far as us, we can't fight if we have it, you know? I actually I was in New Orleans like 2 days ago and um like it, it my like my sister, she had like a party I wanted to go so bad, but I didn't go. I was just, and I was like, they, they begged me to come. Like, come on, you'll be all right. I was like, man, I'm just, I'm really scared. I don't want to get coronavirus. You know, Michaela, Michaela, um, Mayer, she was training in our gym and she was supposed to fight and she didn't even have it, but she had the antibody in her system and they called off her fight. You know, and so when that happens, when you know somebody, it's always a big difference. You know, she was training. Like I was, I was scared because I was with her in the same, we was all in the same gym she was training and stuff like that. So I was just, you know, I was like fucking, I was spooking because of that. You know, I was real scared. Um, so it's, yeah, man, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to stay away from people. And like I said, I was just in New Orleans and stuff for, for that, for like, I I went to go to my sister's birthday party and I didn't even go. I went there basically. I didn't even go because I waited till like everybody left and cleared out because I don't want to catch it. You know, when you talking about it's gonna mess with our career and you know, I don't want to be no uh, close to that stuff.
0: Yeah, you're smart for being careful because you're right. You can set people back months, if not years, just by you know catching it and not being able to participate uh, in a show. Uh, Regis, I'm sorry to hear about the hooker fight, man. That sucks because I thought that would have been one of the best fights of the return to boxing. But I hope to see you back again real soon in a big fight, man. You're always always entertaining out there when you get in the ring.
3: All right, thanks, man. Y'all have a good man. Y'all be safe,
4: also.
0: All right, that's it for this week's episode. My thanks to my guests. As always, subscribe to the podcast over at Apple Podcasts. Rate, review, you know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week.
1: Live Nation presents Concert Week.